Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John Wolf came by and started the countertops today, and so... I'm going to keep you posted on tomorrow night's prayer because if he goes on an epoxies tomorrow, the smell might be too stout in here uh, to prayer. We don't want you to stay here past 830 against your will because you're out. I'm not talking about falling asleep while praying either. <laughs> we just don't want you to get high and go out. So if prayer is at the church, but I'll send out a blast if there isn't prayer at the church, and we'll have stuff up on Facebook if it isn't, uh, because we feel that your safety would be endangered, <laughs> all right? So uh, just keep mindful of that. But that is started, so that means if he gets it done in the next couple of days, he'll cure for a week, and he'll be done. Just another little box checked off the thing. It seems like the year of construction around here. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that's taken place. And so that's, that's exciting at the same time. Also, uh, this upcoming uh, weekend and week and schedule, if you're interested in knowing the, the ministry and the preaching that's going to be going on, uh, this coming Sunday morning will be Brother Jerry Mason, and Sunday night will be Alex Mason. Next Wednesday, next Wednesday, uh, yeah, Mason Sunday. Look at you all. You grab a hold of one thing, you just don't let it go, right? Uh, and then next Wednesday will be Brother Zach McGee. And then the following Sunday morning will be Brother Jerry Mason. And the evening will be Brother James Malone. And so that's the, that's the lineup uh, for this coming uh, week and time. And so we appreciate uh, their willingness to fill in and minister. And so you got a, a myriad of voices amen and ministries and types and styles that will be coming and so i'm confident that someone will be ministered to uh through that and through them in jesus name i'm going to read just a few verses of scripture to get us started but you might want to keep your bibles on your lap or your phone bible in your hand tonight this is going to be just a little different it's kind of going to be uh back and forth a little reading a little comment and back and forth we are deeply in a narrative story you've heard me say that more than once this is a narrative this is a story so it's not like you take one verse and you uh, just say a whole lot about it because it's an attachment of story it's like me talking about me and my wife went to the bread to get some uh, milk and ending right there and start talking about that went to the store to get some milk I mean really extrapolate some things from that but sometimes you just need a little bit more uh, in order to uh, be able to fill in the blanks or the details or kind of what the mindset of everything is taking place. So I'm going to start back in Esther 4. We did not finish with Esther 4. Uh, purposely, I stopped just a few verses before. Um, it kind of makes me think of the Apostle Paul said in one place of the epistles, he said, I have more, I have more things to share with you more than you can bear for now so in other words he had a whole lot more to say but he knew he couldn't hand, they, they couldn't handle it all in one setting and so that's where i was so i stopped a little bit before and so esther 4 and verse number 15 someone said that never hindered you before esther 4 and verse number 15 and just to get the setting of where we are right the servant of esther has been going to esther to mordecai from mordecai back to esther back and forth conveying news conveying their conversation being the mediator and the middleman uh, between them and so mordecai has uh, just sent word uh, back to is getting ready to send word back to really Esther is going to send word back to Mordecai. All right, I'll get it out of my mouth. Because Mordecai told Esther, basically, if you don't do anything at this time, said there's going to come deliverance, right? And remember, the question wasn't whether soever there were deliverance or the question of deliverance. The question really was, Esther, do you want to be a part of the deliverance that's going to come? That was the real meat of it. And so, uh, and he said that famous phrase, who knoweth that thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we started talking about that perhaps they may begin to entertain that Esther was where she was and it wasn't because of really any major doings on their part, but it was the providence of God that has guided and instructed and has at least used maybe some decisions that they made right or wrong 
for his, his purpose and his glory. And God, as I said, I think, closing last week, that God can take right where you are and make it a platform for his glory. Although it may be the most despicable place in life or, or, or even placement for people. I said, used last week, people in prisons, you know, uh, they, had, they said I had to go to prison to find God. God can use wherever you are and use it as a platform for his glory. So now that you stood for five minutes, verse number 15 of Esther 4, then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. She is responding, go Gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and eat and neither eat nor drink three days, day or night. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go unto the king. That was what was advised, which is not according to the law. Remember, remember, it's not according to the law. She could die. All right. And if I perish, she says, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Tonight, uh, this chapter is really just a linking chapter for other information that's going to follow. So I basically named this tonight, Set Up for a Takedown. Set up for a takedown. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you, Jesus, this evening. God, I'm thankful, Lord, again to be here tonight, God, with your people. Lord, we're appreciative, Lord, of your word. Your word, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, let it give guidance. Lord Jesus, shine on our path before us, Lord, to help aid us in our steps and where we walk. And we'll not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you accomplish. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. 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 You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. It would seem as though that whenever Mordecai gives this, I don't know if ultimatum is the right word, but whenever he gives this scenario and the option about deliverance coming, Esther can be a part of it or not a part of it that whenever that comes to her and she really grasps the, the true meaning of all that entailed, that she seems to have found her bootstraps, so to speak, and pulled up on them, right? Uh, out, of, out of the way that she had lived a life up to this moment, she's, she's going to try to head in a different direction, might we even say a better direction than she was before. And we find that very quickly in her response to Mordecai, having him and desiring of him that he would gather all the Jews together that was in Shushan, the capital city, and that they would join her and her maids in a period of time of fasting for three days and three nights. I don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us, but it's highly probable that the maids that she has are not Jewish maids, but quite possibly Persian maids and yet she's getting them in on because she's queen, right? She can direct their affairs. She's like, you, you girls are going to fast for, with me for the next three days. Uh, we're going to take some time pushing away from the table and we're going to fast. And so she asked Mordecai also to get word out among everybody among the city that they would join with them. And, and this, is, this is very common. This is common even for things uh, in the church or in your own life. It's one thing to fast by yourself, but it's something else whenever you can get another individual to yoke up with you during a time of fasting right where you are yearning for the Lord we have had times in the church in times gone by we've done three day fast we've done five day fast here collectively at the church and on the heels of that uh, we have seen things come about uh, answers to prayer happen things unfold because of, of a collective concerted effort of fasting and so they went to fasting and this is quite contrary and contrasts the whole empire of Persia because up to this moment even after this moment and through this moment Persia is a place of feasting right they're feasting ready to have more food and more drink and marry and yeah this is the way that we celebrate this is the culture of Persia and so for Esther to call her maids and there to be a group then among Persia that's pushing away from the table this is in many regards counterculture countercultural to what typically takes place in Persia because remember this whole story began with what the king throwing a couple of feast 
right? For that matter, the king is on the verge of going to war uh, with Greece. And how does he decide to go to war with Greece? What, what prefaces all of this? A time of feasting. Let's eat. Yet we see in Israel, the Jewish people throughout Scripture, something that they customarily and many times usually did before they had times of war. Guess what? Not feasting, fasting. And so it's a different of two cultures. It's a different of two worlds. And so they were, Esther was not in many regards going to war in a literal sense, but there was a sense that she was going to war because she was hoping to go to combat uh, for her people, at least stand up for her people, and now identify with her people who were threatened uh, to be destroyed about 11 months from the point of time where they are right now. And so already we're starting to see a little bit of a new leaf here uh, for Esther, amen, resorting to fasting rather than feasting. And so and another thing is that fasting throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, we taught on this at different times when we spoke about fasting. Fasting is a means or is activity. And again, it's something that we should do, right? New Testament Scripture, you've heard me say this till you're probably like, Brother McGee, I'm tired of you saying that. When you pray, when you give, when you fast, right? Not a question if, it's when. That when you do these things, you know, the, what you do in secret, the Lord will reward you openly for. But the concept, the idea is this, and in, in, uh, uh, in it said it like this. He said, fasting is reminding ourselves that our normal state of life in this world is not fullness but hunger. Meaning this, that we're not satisfied here. We're not satisfied here. We long for, we desire for something beyond what we have. Fasting is that indicator. That's the reason why in the New Testament, uh, and people are speaking about the Lord's disciples, says your disciples are not fasting when some of these other people are. He says, well, why should they fast when the bridegroom is with them? I'm with them right now. Whenever I go away and I'm no longer with them, he said they'll fast. Why? Because they'll be longing and hungering for me. Oftentimes people uh, throughout scripture fasted whenever a loved one passed away or died. It wasn't just a, it just wasn't a picture of their sorrow. It was a picture of the absence of what they longed for what they had, their loved one. And so fasting is very indicative of that. And so whenever we fast, we are explaining to our world and to the Lord, we're hungering for something more than what we presently have. We're not just satisfied with what we have here below. And so that is a big deal when you understand that Esther is proclaiming this fast for her maids and asking uh, Mordecai and some of the Jews of, of Shushan to join in on this because she is what? She's currently in the position, the placement as the queen of Persia. She's sitting in the lap of luxury, if you will. Uh, she has all of these, everything imaginable at her fingertips. However, she says, let's fast. Why? Because this is an indication of what I presently have isn't satisfying. That I have a hunger and a desire for something more or perhaps even something else. And she did at this particular point in time. She was now hungering for deliverance for her people. She was hungering, if you will, and desiring for God's intervention. Though it's not spoken in those terms, and God's name's not mentioned in Esther, she's wanting some type of change up concerning what the outcome is supposed to be 11 months from now. All right, and so the, the Jews had a hunger uh, overall now here in Shushan and otherwise that had a hunger that could not be satisfied by the Persian Empire that they were living in. All right, it was an indication that this world could not appease them. And that's, a reason, that's one reason, I should say of many, one reason why fasting should still be a part of our lives because this old world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And fasting is a way that I convey to God, I'm not satisfied here, Lord. I long for something else. And to, to, to not practice that in another way can be an explanation to God that I'm satisfied right where I'm at. This world contents me. But when we fast, we are yelling into the heavens that this world is not our home. It cannot appease us. There's a longing for something beyond. And so uh, the Persian feast, uh, they had 
commonly, customarily, before they went to war. Uh, even Esther's going to use a feast in order to get the king and Haman, Haman to come see her on two different occasions. And all these things are going to take place. But the Jews, they're hungering for something different. And so here's Esther. She is going to go before the king. She's made up her mind. She is quite hurt. She's got her face set like a flintstone, so to speak. And she's going to go in before the king. And the Bible says plainly that when she does this, that she's going to break the Persian law. She's going to do, she's going to break the Persian law. She wasn't supposed to go in. 30 days she's not been summoned. If she's not been summoned, she wasn't supposed to go in. But she's going to go anyway before the throne of the king where she can be seen before the king. And she's going to break the Persian law. We're starting to see a little variance, a little change in Esther because up to this point in time, she's going to do whatever Persia wants done. Right? She's going to follow their laws, their dietary laws. She's going to fit in. She's going to go with the flow. That seems a bit, but now she's going to chance doing something that isn't necessarily kosher, all right, according to the Persians. She, she, when, if in doing this, she may not please them. <gasps> How dare you, Esther? She may not please the Persian world. And so this, again, is a very stark difference compared to her actions up to this moment of time when she seemed to please all. And her methods of doing so were, again, by not causing any ripples in the water. You know, don't want to draw any attention that I might be something different than they are. Right type of mentality. Amen. She just blended in. She didn't claim her Jewish identity, but now she's willing to make them un. Please, she, she didn't seem, as far as we can see, practice any of the Jewish principles or ethics, but now she's willing to go and break the Persian law. And so Esther loses herself really in this decision, right? Because she's really come to a place that she had to be willing to sacrifice even if it meant self-sacrifice, even if it concerned her, right? Because she says, I'm going to go, and if I perish... I perish. It isn't about her right now. It isn't about her advancement in a foreign kingdom or a foreign world. That's not what it's about right now. It's about, at this time, there were approximately 15 million Jews that were scattered throughout the Persian Empire. That's a lot of people. And if something didn't change in 11 months, that was going to be about 15 million people dead. The Holocaust was bad. This would have been horrid. I mean, times over. Amen, in comparison. And so she's thinking about all this. And so Mordecai, whenever he hears response and word of Esther about getting a, a fast together, he sets to it right away. He sets his side to the plan of getting people to fast along with her, the Jews that are in Shushan to fast along with her. They're going to do this as a concerted effort. And note what the scripture says there in, in Esther chapter number 4 and verse 17. The Bible says, So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. This is interesting because he's doing as Esther has commanded him. And there seems here, again, this is the book of reversal. There's reversal here because along the journey, we have seen primarily Esther doing what Mordecai has commanded her, right? We see in chapter number 2, verses 10 and 20, talking about she didn't reveal her identity because... Mordecai had commanded that. Mordecai had advised her on that. She was brought up in his household. She did whatever Mordecai advised. But now there is a switch. There is a reversal. Now, rather than, yeah, she's, she's taking his advice about going in before the king. But when it comes to this fast thing, this is her idea. And he's doing as she commanded. She's carrying forth the commandment of Esther. Mordecai is. Look at Esther chapter number five. And this is where we're going to kind of do a little touch and go back and forth. So you have your Bible. Bible, you have your phone, you have your iPad, you're in the right translation, right? All right, and you can go back and forth. They'll try to go up there on the screen. I told them what I was going to do. Whether we do it successfully, I don't know, but we're going to try. Amen. Verse number one, now it came to pass. Now look, what we just talked about, they're going to fast, right? So this, again, if there's no breaks in scripture as we have them in our English Bibles, now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house and 
inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. At first, I thought I'd read that twice, but I did, but it's just a little different. <laughs> and the king sat up on his royal throne in the royal house, got a lot of royalty going on here, over against the gate of the house. It came to pass the third day. The third day of what? The third day of the fast. They were going to fast for three days. Came about the third day of the fast that she gets herself all dolled up and dressed in her royal attire. And she goes in before the king. She's all got all of her royal garb on that denotes that she indeed is queen of Persia. And she goes in before the king. Note, it's right at, it's right at the end of the fast. She's like, we're not going to allow no pause. Uh, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know necessarily there's shelf life for fast. Like, you know, after it's over, it's only effective for like, you know, the next 24 hours. But nonetheless, she's going to act and she's going to act now on the third day go. And she positions herself in such a way where the king, of course, can see her and take notice of her. She's positioning herself, according to scripture, opposite of his throne room and verse 2 says and it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand so Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter here Esther she has previously but she does again now finds favor in the eyes of the king this is noteworthy because for 30 days he's not even summoned her Really, it is quite noteworthy. It's not like she was just with him last night. For 30 days, there's been a period of time that they have not had any interaction. They've not so much as so seen each other's face. But now she appears 30 days, and yet she still finds favor in the eyes of the king. And rather than getting what she could have got, right, by not being summoned, it's not like the, 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 the guillotine came down and the hammer smashed her head, and he's like, take her away, death. Off with her head, <laughs> whatever it may be. It's not like he said any of that stuff, but instead he extended the golden scepter to her, which was the indication and customary for them, then that she should come and then touch the, touch the golden scepter and receive audience then with the king. Again, Persian law said she should die, and the only exception for that was the golden scepter, and she gets the exception to the rule of the law of having the golden scepter extended to her, and so now she has audience, actual audience with the king, and she's not transgressing any law now because she's been accepted into the king's presence, and verse 3 says, then said the king unto her, what wilt thou, Queen Esther? What wilt, gotta love the old King James. What wilt thou? What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be even given thee to half of the kingdom. Now this is, this is, this is not usually the way the conversations go between you and anybody. People are not usually eager to grant your request before they know what your request is. It's not usually to half the kingdom I'll give you and you've not even asked yet, right? When's the last time your kid came to you and you said to half the kingdom, whatever you got to say? <laughs> no. Amen. Usually you're interested in what the request or the petition, whatever it is first, before you even entertain giving a response. But he grants her what she desires to half the kingdom. And again, uh, this is just a figure of speech, right? just in case we don't get that, to give her the half the kingdom wasn't literal that I'm going to give you half the kingdom. It's just an idiom. It's a figure of speech. In other words, he's saying, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to take care of you. What, whatever it is that you want, it'll take place. It'll happen. That's basically what he's telling her. And so listen here for a moment, though. She doesn't even get anything out of her mouth. She comes into the presence of the king, and he's always asking her, you know, what's the deal? What's your request? I'll grant it to you. She's not even getting anything out of her mouth. And so the king must have known that something was on Esther's mind, primarily because what is she risking her life for? Hmm? She knows what the Persian law says. She's here with for, for some purpose because you're just not going to do that <laughs> without some reason. And I know I'm going back to the parent-child thing, but, you know, oh, dad, I love you. You're the greatest dad there ever was. And, 
And what do you say? What do you want? <laughs> right? And so she's here risking her life. He's like, there must be something going on. And so he already kind of heads it off at the pass. What's your request? What's going on? I'll grant it. Verse number four. And Esther answered, if it seemed good. And I hate if this is seeming like I'm like your Sunday school teacher tonight. If that's the way it seems. Hello, I'm Pastor McGee, your Sunday school teacher tonight. Amen. And Esther answered, if it seemed good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day into the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now she requests not just the king, but the king and Haman to come to a banquet that she's prepared, past tense. You realize that? Prepared for them. Now, for one, the king knows that she certainly didn't just risk her life for the sake of inviting me and Haman to a meal. Well, let's get real. I'm going to take a chance here. I could die, but I really want them to eat at my table. <laughs> I mean, you, I doubt you ever had anybody over at your house on the crux of, well, I could die having them over here, but, you know, I'm going to take a chance on it. No. He knows that she did not do that. There must be something more, right? There must be something more. And when we begin to look at the wisdom of Esther or what God is setting up in this whole scenario. Look how Esther even approaches the king with this matter. She treads very softly with her request. Right? She, she puts it in terms like, if it pleases the king, I'd like for you and Haman to come. That, that's treading very softly. That's putting as though the king is in control of the decision, right? You know what? She's treading very softly. She, it's not a demand if it seemed good unto the king. And so she keeps it as the king's decision whether or not he's going to come or not come. Yet, on this backside, she also keeps it kind of intriguing enough because he knows she wouldn't just risk her life over a banquet. So what's, what's going on just in the mind? Let's just be part of humanity for a moment. You're wondering what they're really here for. Any human being. Any, right? The wheels start turning. What are they really here? I know what they're saying. But the mind of humanity is like, they really want to know really what it's all about. And so he's intrigued. So if it pleased the king, come. Well, yeah, it's going to please the king because he's wondering what she has risked her life over. Right? What's causing this choice? Not only that, we also sense in Esther just a little sense of confidence. A little sense of confidence here. Because she wants him and Haman to come to the banquet that she has prepared. Not that she's preparing. Not that she will prepare after he says yes. But that she has prepared. In other words, she has the banquet ready before the invitation is even given. Before the invitation is given, before the acceptance has come, she has the banquet prepared. And so she's a little confident. Might I say, perhaps, this is just total, perhaps, maybe she's confident in herself, I don't know, or maybe she's confident in what they've been practicing for the past three days. As Jews, as a collective group of people in a concerted effort, of fasting of she and her people three days leading up to this request, leading up to going into the throne room. Maybe there's a little confidence in her, amen, as a result of all the, you know, just as a side note, there's nothing wrong with having an expectation when you know you've been walking in, uh-huh, walking in the shadow of where God would like you to be. Amen? I'm not talking about being cocky, but I'm talking about being confident in him. Huh? And being confident in the relationship that you have developed, huh? And that you have maintained, right? We can go to God with prayer with confidence, huh? Especially when we talk to Him every day. And it's not like we got to introduce ourselves now that we have a problem. God, this is Paul. I haven't talked to you, you know, in three months, but here's my need. 
It's a whole lot different when I talk to him every day and I can go to him with what's arrived in my life. Well, nobody go help me right now, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And so there's, there's a little bit of confidence involved here. And imagine this, and this is just, this is just very practical, Brother Malone. You have been preparing a banquet while you all been fasting. Now you want to talk about you want to talk about discipline. I'm cooking, the smell and the aromas are going in the kitchen, but I'm not eating. There's no sampling the hors d'oeuvres or tasting the main dish. <laughs> I'm doing all this while I'm fasting. Now you maybe you all can do that, but let me tell you something. You just wait till you go on the fast, and that's when at work they'll show up with the donuts for everybody. You know I'm right. It's happened to my wife before. She said, dear, they had donuts there this morning, my favorite. It's like we're fasting. It's not like she goes around and spouts that, but to say there's no temptation would be say, <laughs> yeah, right. Your stomach's growling. Well, we just talked Sunday how smell starts to digestive juices. Go, you smell that glaze. <laughs> right? <laughs> so there, there's, there's a bit of discipline that's involved here too. And so now we know, we know now, according to Scripture, according to her request, that Haman is invited. We know as a reader, all right, because we've read the whole story of Esther. That's the reason why some of y'all's already ahead of me because you already know the story, right? But if you was the character in the story, we know as the reader that the reason why Haman's invited is that she's hoping to bring down the hammer on that old boy. Right? And but for the king that's in the story, he don't know that. The king that's in the story and hears that Haman's invited, he might just be thinking, yeah, Haman's my right-hand man, and it's okay for, you know, for him to come be a part of the banquet with Esther too. You see how innocent this is when you're a part of the story? And soon we will find out <laughs> Haman himself, he interprets everything totally different, totally different than what's going on and what is meant. Uh, he really takes it as a few notches in his belt, buddy. I mean, he's feeling pretty good about this invitation to the banquet. So in essence, though, because of what we know, and we can see the whole story from a bird's eye view, we understand that es Esther has really invited Hangman to his own downfall. It's crazy. He, he goes. <laughs> but nonetheless, he's invited to his own downfall. Look at verse number 5 of, of chapter 5. i got to hurry, don't I? This little going back and forth is working really good. Yeah. Uh, then I'm going to read a few verses, though, here collectively. Then the king said, cause Haman to make haste. Right? Esther wants us. This is already prepared. It's waiting for us. It might get code. Let's go. Haman, make haste. That he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, which usually takes place at the end of the banquet, what is thy petition? Boy, this deja vu. And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Is this a typo? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Then answered Esther and said, my petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king and if it pleased the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Esther, girl, you teaser you. I mean, seriously. Let's look at this for a moment. And so here we are. Again, the king doesn't ask Haman to come. He's like, he's coming. Make case, get him out the door. He's going to come. He don't, have a, he don't have a decision in the matter. He's coming. The meal's already prepared. And so they went. And so 
haste had to be made again because, you know, the candles are already there, the, the napkins are folded like swans, and, you know, the spoons and forks are all laid out just so, and so on and so forth. And the king may have thought, you know, he may have thought he would, he would learn the reason for her coming and inviting. We got to get there. She said to Emil, I know there's something more. We got to find out what's, there it is in the back of his mind, just nagging. We got to find out what's going on. And so here's Esther again. It's almost like she's teasing the king. Amen. And so again, the king guarantees. It's like, if you didn't hear me before, Esther, don't want there to be any misunderstandings or, or what I said to be skewed or you didn't hear me. Here's the thing, gal. What's your request? What's your desire? I'll give it to you. I'll grant it to half the kingdom. If you didn't hear me before, I say it again. And so I looked a little bit. You know, is there any difference between a petition and a request? And so it tells me that a petition is something asked for or demanded, while a request is something that you search for something or you search for answers. Either way, <laughs> either if it was something demanded or something that she was searching for, the king says, I'm eager to grant to Esther. And so Esther with a womanly way or however you want to look at it, she has them right where she wants them. The king in particular, he's on pins and needles. Because see how she responds in verse 7, and you'll probably know how I read it. She, see how she responds. He said everything that's yours, verse 7. Then answered Esther and said, you're on pins and needles, like he's waiting for it. My petition and my request is, I just imagine a long pause after the is. My petition and my request is, if I found favor in your sight, come to dinner tomorrow night too, and then I'll tell you. I mean, like, bam! Got him, got, got him on the hook. He's hanging to every word that she has to say, that she invites him to another banquet tomorrow, and then you'll find out, king. Oh, man. Verse number nine. Then went Haman forth that day, joyful and with a glad heart. That phrase right there clearly indicates that Haman had no idea why he was at the banquet. <laughs> Haman has no idea why he's at the banquet. Because he's leaving, he's happy, joyful. Oh, it was so great to be at the banquet today with Esther and Hazarus. What a great honor has been bestowed upon me as such a great man in the kingdom. Wait till all my friends find out. I stole a little robe to prove I was there. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm getting at here? Then went Haman forth that day joyful with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, which was his typical post, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. And so here's the joyful, jovial, glad Haman leaving the feast, trots over past the king's gate. I'm really in Sunday school mode. Trots over past the king's gate, and there's Mordecai. No respect is being shown. But should Haman really be surprised about this? Because he never has. Mordecai never has. Showing respect to the office of Haman. This has never happened. And look today, though, maybe the envelope is pushed a little further because not only is Mordecai not bowing, Bob says he didn't even stand up. He didn't even move. There was no indication or acknowledgement that I even passed by. And we may be somewhat surprised because we know the edict, the, the decree was already written it was already sent out to all 127 provinces that about 11 months from now, the Jews are going to die. For some of us, we'd be like, we want to find the good side of who's trying to kill us. Mordecai, nope. <laughs> it's like, I'm already on the bad side, and that's where I'm going to stay. You know? Not trying to find any mercy, not trying to find any grace, not trying to get on the good side. And so we might be a little surprised because doom, gloom, and despair upon them, and Mordecai, you know, is not doing anything different. And maybe he is thinking, perhaps nothing, nothing could get any worse. And we believe, we believe already from last week that there could have started to be some positive changes with Mordecai and Esther. And then Mordecai still disdains the, the honor of the office. I mean, what? 
Is he really starting to change, Brother McGee? Because he's not showing that he's changing in that aspect. And it's then that we step back and we realize that people can be changing without every aspect of their life coming in perfect alignment all at once. It's then that we realize that we're all flawed people. And it's just that my flaw is not in the same area that your flaw is. And I recognize your flaw because it's not exactly like my flaw. Oh, someone say amen. amen. I can more easily recognize your flaw if it's not exactly like mine. Because if your flaw, Samantha, was like mine, I'd be easier on you because I share the same flaw. Oh, and it got quiet there too. <laughs> it's kind of like the old saying is a bald man doesn't, doesn't complain about a, what he would consider maybe a faulty comb because it don't relate to him. Doesn't concern him. Now, I don't want to have to back up the whole train here. Does that mean that we just, everybody look the other way and all that? God's keeping good record. When the scripture says judge nothing before it's time, there's time until rapture takes place for our flaws to alter and change. And we always must live with the end in view. That doesn't mean we never attempt to work on those things of our lives. But it does bring us to realization that there are certain areas of our individual lives that might take more work for us than it does for somebody else. So don't be too harsh with someone else's flaw because you might have more of a flaw that is more public. Your flaw might be more private. If your flaw that was private was public, they may have could just as equally give you hardship over your flaw. Amen? Again, I'm not giving any of us a license here tonight, but I'm trying to give us perspective. I'm trying to give us perspective. And so here's Haman. He's still doing the same old, same old. I thought he was changing well. It would be a miracle if everything was just as it should be at the moment of salvation, but it's not. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. But as we allow the Lord in our life and work on our life, we grow up into the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a growth process. And the thing that you must ask yourself, have I quit growing or am I further along today in that particular regard than I was five years ago? That's the question. We must ask ourselves. <laughs> All right? Is everybody doing okay? I feel like a doctor that just kind of touched a tender spot in someone's body tonight, and they're like, oh. <laughs> Amen. You, you know, he prays around, does that hurt? You're like, mm. a little grimace on the face. Mm. You don't have to say anything. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. And so before we're quick to judge the stubbornness, of Mordecai again we got to examine our own lives the places where we're stubborn or obstinate about things in our life <clears throat> because honestly Mordecai could have been he could have been vindictive at this point right he wants to slay everybody <clears throat> on Haman <laughs> I want to spit on his guts if they're on fire you know and so Haman's emotions look at him now oh it's great banquet with the king Mordecai covers his head he's he's in indignation he's a little angry he's a little mad he's got this swelling of emotions and so the emotions of Haman note Haman as a character his emotions have they rise and they fall but no they rise and fall with how his ego is fed or starved with how his ego is fed or starved leaving the banquet with the king and the queen he's joyful feels what he believes is disrespect toward his office by a man who never honored him anyway or never honored his office anyway. He's angry. 
And here's the reality, folks. And I'm not meaning to really dig in tonight, but here's the reality. Haman's status as being second command over Persia didn't change when he was with the king and queen. That was still his status and placement. Nor did it change that he got another day of disrespect for his office from Mordecai. Nothing has changed in the real world. Really what Haman has exposed in his reactions is that he has an idol in his life. And Haman's idol is public respect. In, invited by the king and queen? Mm. Disdained by Mordecai? Hmm. He has an idol of public respect. Amen. And we'll see this through scripture. Nevertheless, verse number 10, moving onward. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. That's a good boy, Haman. I mean, out of everything we've seen in anger so far in this book, he refrained, he's indignation, he's angry, yet he refrains himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends. I hope everybody just take a deep breath about what we're really about ready to go through here in the next few verses. When he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children. I think his wife would have known that. And all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above all the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. Feel a little Shakespearean coming on me. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Now, Haman didn't let his anger get the best of him. He refrained, and that's good that he refrained. Maybe he was thinking, you know what, Mordecai, you go do you, because 11 minutes from now, or 11 <laughs> months from now, you're going to be a dead you, boy. And so maybe say, I'm not even going to touch it. I'm going to leave it enough alone. His date is already on the calendar. But as soon as he gets home, and he's been mad about being disrespected, but he's happy about being respected by the king. What's he do? Come on, wife and friends. Let me tell you how great I am. <laughs> because what is a person to do when they feel they've been disrespected? Gather everybody around you that you believe does respect you. Oh, God. He called honey buns over. He called his friends around him. And here's the awesome thing, and this is where you really got to take a deep breath of, with Haman because he begins to tell them things they already know. I am so rich. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's getting out the shekels and he's just kind of tossing them around. I am so rich. Right? And he begins to tell them and he says, and look at these ten sons, wife, I have to, it's like, have his there, hand. I got 10 sons. Look at this, these descendants and offspring that I have that are before you. And he tells them about his promotion. I don't know if you realize it or not, but I'm the second hand man to the king. I've received promotions and placement that other men would die for. These are people that are his friends and wife. They know this stuff. But Haman's got to say this. Why? Not necessarily for their benefit, but for his egos. His egos benefit. He even underscores, nobody else was invited to the banquet today. It was the king and the queen and guess who? Me. Haman. And so he basked in all of this for a while. And as a reader, Bishop, man, it's almost all I can stomach. On one hand of me, he's kind of cringing a little bit. And then on the other hand of me, I'm kind of smirking a little bit because it's a little laughable. And if you've ever been in a real-life scenario like this, you kind of feel both. But I have the outsider's awareness. That's the reason why I can smirk. Right? And I don't know if you realize this or not, Haman's kind of a big deal. 
time and just hang around long enough and you'll find out. He'll tell you. Warren Risby says it like this, and it hits the nail squarely on the head. Someone has said that pride is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the one who has it. Let me state that again. Someone once said that pride is the only disease, the only disease that makes everyone else sick except for the person that has it. I'm rich. I got promotions and placement. Look at my sons. Look at the steed over there. Huh? Okay, no one's been around that type of person. I understand. But here's what we must note. That Haman is writing his death sentence with his own overt pride problem. It's on display. He's writing his death sentence with his own pride problem. As a matter of fact, why do you say that? Because there's enough verses in Scripture, and those, I'm coming up on those few verses there, Brother Alex, that's kind of inserted in this chapter 5 story uh, from elsewhere. There's enough verses in the Bible that bear witness to the fact that we can almost determine Haman's end even without knowing the rest of the story because of this pride problem in his life. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 and 2, and I'm just grabbing the first phrase there. You could read the whole thing. It says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. Proverbs, and these are just a small collection. There are many other verses in the Bible as well. Proverbs 16.5 says, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. In other words, the proud will be punished. Proverbs 16.8, excuse me, 18, a verse that many are probably aware of, maybe even quote it yourself. Pride goeth before, and a haughty before. So even before knowing the rest of the story, Haman just spilling all over about himself, Right? We can almost even determine his end without knowing the end because pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The handwriting is on the wall for Haman according to the word of God. And when he does this, when he is prideful, uh, the book of James tells us that we make ourselves an opponent of God. The Bible says that the Lord resisteth. He resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He resisteth the proud. And so when we become prideful, we become an opponent, an adversary, one in which God will resist. He resists the proud. So I want to share with you, and I know I'm already, you know, in overtime and bless the Lord, but nonetheless, we're supposed to clap and cheer. Overtime, baby! Go get another hot dog! Oh, yeah. Get your big little foam finger up and your little rattle maker. We're in overtime. Let me share a few of, few few uh, fruits of pride that is found in Haman and that we could find in ourselves, perhaps. He is overly self-conscious and concerned about what people think. Fruits of pride found in Haman. He often feels insecure. I know that's hard to grasp, maybe to put your mind around, but people that feel insecure is thinking about themselves. He compares himself to others. He needs credit and recognition. He wants people to be impressed with him he's overly competitive he likes to be the center of attention he likes to talk about we have for sure he likes to talk about himself he thinks highly of himself in relation to other people I could do that better They ain't nothing. They should see me do that. Or they should see the fish I caught. Oh, God, why didn't you tell me it was going to be like this? He feels deserving. He wallows in self-pity. Because when we just wallow in self-pity, 
And then people take it to another degree. They want other people to know they're wallowing in self-pity. It's one thing to wallow in self-pity and you're not telling anybody, but it's like to another degree when you have to let people know on social media that you're in self-pity. Why? Because you need the attention. Whether it's for something good or for something that supposedly bad happened to you, you need the attention. Fruits of pride. Am I doing okay? We're still talking about the same jovial hymn in here. Verse 13, I'll get the plane landed here. Yet all this availeth me nothing. This is what Haman said. He's told him about everything, that he's rich in promotions and placement and blah and blah, everything they already knew. Yet all this availeth me nothing. He's still not satisfied because a prideful person never is. All this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then said Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. This is setting us up for a takedown. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. So everything that Haman has going for him, that he says, this is a perk for being who? For being me. This is a perk of being me. Everything that he has going for him, he says, is tainted by the disdain for Mordecai. Again, you have all of this, and yet it's like this one pebble over here. And it's like it just totally tips the scales. Why again? Because a prideful person is not satisfied unless everyone realizes how special they are. Haman's wife, Zeresh, uh, reminds me a little bit of Jezebel. Remember Jezebel and Ahab? Uh, king of Israel was, was Ahab, and Naboth was near to uh, the palace and had a vineyard there. He really desired to have Naboth's vineyard. He even talked to Naboth about getting his vineyard. I'll give you money for your vineyard, or I'll trade you for a better vineyard. And Naboth said, no. This is, my, this is the place of my father's inheritance. This has been handed down, handed down. And so what does the king, the noble king, go? He goes to his wife, Salkin. He will let me, he will let me have the vineyard. Right? That no mean little boy. Well, let me have the vineyard. And so whenever he complained to his wife, his wife said, don't worry about it, dear. I'll, I'll, I'll handle it. And she, in a very conniving, deceptive way, gets Naboth murdered so that Ahab could have the vineyard. And so here we are. Haman tells his wife, everything's great and wonderful in my life, and I'm like Mr. Perfect and got everything but this guy. And whenever that happens, Zeresh and Haman's friends say, you just build a 50-cubit-high gallows, which is approximately around 75 feet, and have Mordecai to be hanged thereon. Other versions of the Bible say a sharpened pole that he would be impelled upon. And the reason be, it was common practice among the Persian Empire for them to impel people at stakes more than hang people from gallows. And so there may be an interpretation there of the original words of where we're going with that. So we don't know for sure if it's a hanging of a gallows or the impelling of somebody on a stake. Either way, it's not good. All right, and it's going to be about 75 feet high, whether the structure is itself or it's set on an elevated piece of ground in order to be that high. But this is Zeresh's, this is her, her uh, opinion, this is her advice. She says, you go and you have that built and you meet the king tomorrow morning and you talk about taking care of this Mordecai business and then you'll be able to go to the banquet and you'll be merry. That will be in hindsight. And the Bible says that that Haman started on the gallows after this meeting. And I'm closing. You and stand with me. Thank you for walking with me. I, maybe it's because I'm not going to be here to talk to you for a few weeks, so I'm trying to get this in, and I'll, I'll catch some of it on the back end. Again, as an outsider, we understand that this is setting up for a, a setup for a takedown. But his wife unknowingly the advice that she is giving him is going to be the very instrument for her husband's death. Now she don't know that being a character of the story, but we know that. So this whole chapter is leading us further to a setup for a takedown. Now, two weeks from now, we'll talk about what happens between the two banquets. Because there's stuff that happens between the two banquets that really cause a pivotal turn in our story and we'll look at 
what that should really be, what that accomplishment, what that pivot should really be attributed to. Mordecai, Esther, who? We'll look at that two weeks from now. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. So I hope you enjoyed our, our Bible story lesson today, boys and girls. But perhaps something in that you picked up on that you haven't picked up on before in just going verse by verse. And probably the next few will be that type of back and forth, but maybe not 60 minutes, maybe an hour and a half. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're going to pray tonight that God would help us. If anything else, some things that we can take away from this today is that for sure we need to steer away from the spirit of pride. Right? That's the very thing that snafed Lucifer when he was an arch, archangel before he was Satan. All right. Matter of fact, pride is really at the very roots of most sins that take place in our life. It is like an origin sin for many things that birth from that. And so for sure, we, we, we need to... There's nothing wrong with asking the Lord to help you with pride and jealousies and things like that. Let me tell you, he will. It's not a fun ride, but he will. Life sometimes has a way of humbling you all by itself. I don't know how it is, but it just happens. <sighs> Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, I thank you. I pray, oh Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.